Fan Lebitardians, welcome back for another episode of the Fan Lebitard Show. I'm your host, Ty, once again asking you to follow, rate, and review this podcast. Also, follow the show on Twitter at Lebitard underscore fan. On today's episode, we chat with Ballet Sports Florida digital host and reporter Jeremy Taché. We discuss everything from sports to the Rugrats reboot on Paramount Plus, which I definitely have some thoughts about. So stick around for all of that and more. It was a fun conversation, and I'm glad we had it. And also, before we begin, I need to offer up a very happy early birthday to our guest, Jeremy. So, Jeremy, this is for you. And happy birthday to him. I don't care. Good luck. All right. With that being said, let's get into the episode. This is the Fan Levitard Show. gentlemen allow me to introduce you to our guest today he is a digital host and reporter at Bally sports florida jeremy tache is joining us here on the fan levitard show jeremy you good yeah i'm good ty you good i'm great now unfortunately something that's not good is uh south florida as a whole right now uh it's <laughs> been a little bit of a rough stretch for them and for those who don't keep up with south florida sports let me just recap what this past week has been um you have the miami heat being swept by the milwaukee bucks in the first round of the playoffs the florida panthers got bounced by the tampa bay lightning in the first round after a historically good regular season for them and to top it all off, Inter-Miami was fined $2 million by MLS and then proceeded to get drubbed by DC United 3-0 at home. So, Jeremy, my first question to you is, how did you process everything that recently happened in South Florida sports? You know, it's it's funny you ask that question because I'm still going through the process of processing. <laughs> um, I, it's funny. I, I was talking with my girlfriend earlier yesterday and saying how all of a sudden I went from someone who was covering two playoff runs and a regular season baseball season all at once to within three days, both the Panthers and heat seasons end. And then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I'm I'm just a baseball reporter now. All of a sudden, <laughs> I went from covering three sports to covering one. Um, it's been strange because there was such optimism around, and specifically talking about the Panthers and the Heat, who who I cover personally. You know, there was such optimism around both of them going into this postseason, and I think both of them could not have gotten any unluckier in terms of their draw in the first round. Like, I think both of those teams are actually better than first round exits, particularly the Heat being swept in the first round. I mean, they were falling apart, not playing like the same team as they had been. Uh, but it's been so strange to go from all this optimism to just, oh, they're done. All right, season's over. Let's move on. So it's been, uh, it's, it's been a, a roller coaster of a few days for sure. So sticking with the Miami Heat, where do you fall on the scale between like realist and Parakeet Cortez, Minister of Propaganda? Like how how bad was that first round exit for the Heat? You know, it, it's funny. I'm uh, I'm realizing more and more that I'm starting to merge my own personality with my like online and in front of the camera persona, and I'm starting to lose the lines of what's what. Um, in playing all of this up, 
I am probably a seven on the parakeet Cortez scale. <laughs> like I'm definitely, uh, I'm, I'm very much a believer in the whole heat culture thing. I like really truly believe that that does bring something extra out of players and out of, you know, the way that they overachieve. And I believe suppose the best coach in the NBA. I'm, I'm in on all that. I'm a Jimmy Butler stand. Bam Adebayo is the future of the league, all of it. Right. But on the same note, this is a horrible loss. And this is the type of loss that historically has meant teams blow up their core. Um, the Heat did it themselves. After winning a title in 06, they lost in a first-round sweep in 07 and blew up a team that had Shaq. Uh, so, you know, you wouldn't put it past Pat Riley to make the decision to sort of rip it apart. Uh, do I think that if they keep this core together, including like Hero and Robinson and all those guys, that this group with the right moves around it can still make a deep run in the East. Like, yeah, I don't, my optimism does not change there, but what I understand if they completely blew it up and, and changed things and just took Bam and Jimmy and said, here's your star and we'll build it around that, you know, all three of you. Yeah, I could see that happening for sure. Um, so it's kind of, that's also kind of fun going into an off season as someone covering the team, because now you get to kind of not only sort of have, excitement toward whatever those offseason moves are going to be. But next season has that much higher stakes, regardless of the choices. If they keep it intact, all right, better be the right decision. And if they blow it up, well, then all right, that better be the right decision too. So uh, it makes next year that much more fun. How much of a difference do you think Victor Oladipo would have made in this series overall? I think it would have made a huge difference um, in just what the Heat did. I don't know that anything could have made the difference, though, specifically against the Bucks with the way that the Heat were constructed. It's not like Victor Oladipo was going to be the solo go-to scorer at all times for Miami. Uh, they didn't want that from him. He didn't want that. Nobody expected that. He would have been in Kendrick Nunn's role. He would have played 20 to 25 minutes a night, but maybe a little more efficiently. Uh, he also gave the Heat more athleticism. Not that Nunn isn't athletic, but... Vic is more naturally, he has more vertical, right? Like he's just, he's just a more playing above the rim, rim type of guy. Um, and the heat clearly lacked athleticism against the bucks, but it was about size, like adding another guard. I don't know what that would have done or not done. It, it couldn't have hurt. They got swept. It couldn't have been worse. Very true. Uh, it definitely, right. It definitely would have helped in some capacity. Um, but I mean, realistically, this was just the worst possible matchup for a team that, the Heat are one of the few teams that still works inside out to get their threes, even though they shoot threes at a really high clip. They still have to sort of work their way into the paint to get open for three and let Duncan Robinson run around. And they play, you know, Bam Adebayo and Jimmy Butler with their back to the basket. And against the Bucs, that just was never going to work with the way that they made their adjustments from one season to the next. So I like to say that Vic would have made all the difference and we can, you know, throw an asterisk on the series and, you know, make our jokes. But I don't know if it would have made the difference against the Bucks specifically. So you had mentioned Bam Adebayo, and it seemed like towards the end of that series, a lot of Heat fans were getting really critical of how he was playing in that series. And so I'm curious, was that series more of an anomaly, just getting bodied by a bigger team? Or is that kind of what the Heat should probably expect from him going forward, given just, you know, his body type and just how he plays? Yeah, I don't think that that's what they'll get from Bam ever again moving forward. Like, I think he's think the type again. of guy. I think he's. I think he's the type of guy that makes the adjustment to to build his game. We've watched every season 
This guy turned from, look, when he first came into the league, he was a first-round pick, but he was very clearly the backup to Hassan Whiteside. Uh, think about that, right? Like, he was struggling to get on the floor at times as a rookie because there were other bigs in the mix that I can't even think of who they were now, and that was only a few years ago. Um, his game has taken massive jumps from year to year, each year of his career. He's shown that he's a tough willed guy. Like he's come back from injury. He's played without Jimmy throughout the season. He played in huge playoff games inside that bubble and responded and had games individually where he struggled in that bubble and then came back, which is, I think what all of us found so surprising about this year was we watched him last season in the playoffs struggle in an individual game, and then he, Coach Spolster, Jimmy Butler, all make huge adjustments to the next game and respond. And when all of a sudden you've got Bam standing alone at the elbow, refusing to take a jumper, when that's a game-winning shot he hit in Brooklyn without Jimmy Butler earlier this season was an elbow jumper, it showed that clearly something mental was going on there for Bam in this specific series, in this specific matchup. The last time the Heat saw somebody have something like that happen that was a great player, they came back and won a championship next season. So uh, I'm not saying that Bam's performance was as poor as LeBron's in the 2011 finals, nor am I calling Bam LeBron James. But I'm just saying when you have players of that caliber who sort of carry the creed of the culture that everybody talks about. And, you know, Coach Spolstra and, and Riley, they talk about Bam as the future of the franchise. They wouldn't do that if they didn't believe in what he had in his head and 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 his ability to bounce back in, in adversity. So um, I don't think you'll ever see that type of performance, at least mentally, from Bam again. Could he get overmatched? Sure. You know, he's a 6'9 guy who is forced to play center that if he doesn't develop a three-point shot, might be a weird tweener between the four and five, and you have to figure it out. So he could have bad matchups in the future, but I don't think mentally you'll ever see him sort of struggle that way to approach a defense again in his career. Like, I wouldn't anticipate it. And then you had mentioned how you think the Heat really got a bad matchup here and really got unlucky in this first round facing a Bucks team that you know, probably is better than their third place finish in the East would, you know, tend to reason. Um, they were a team that, you know, you look on paper, you look at that roster, they were improved from last year. And so I'm left kind of wondering, like, where do you fall on, I guess, the whole narrative surrounding the heat that they were bubble frauds? Because, you know, <laughs> You, I, I know you talk about bad luck in this series, but we are talking about winning an Eastern Conference one year and then being a couple months removed with functionally the same roster. Um, and then you go and you get swept in the first round. So like, where where is the disconnect there? Is, it, is that just literally all matchups? So I don't think it's all matchups. Um, I do think it's fair that when you look at the Heat over the last couple of seasons and you look at their regular season record outside of the bubble and you say they're only a few games over 500 and now they've been swept out of the first round, I understand the people who want to make the assumption that's who they really are. Um, the other argument that I would make is that you went into a bubble where ostensibly every team was healthy in a bubble. It's what we ask for. It's put the teams in a vacuum and who comes out the champion, right? Like that's the thing. It, looking back at the 2020 playoffs, there's never been anything so pure. Like there, to me, there's never been a greater representation. If anything, the asterisk of a season would be this one 
where how many players across the league blew out ACLs? How many of these teams here, like the Heat and possibly the Lakers a few days from now, and the Celtics and the Nuggets, who all made it deep into that bubble, who had the shortest turnaround in NBA history, fell apart physically? Now, that's not to say that the Heat, as constructed with this specific squad were the best team in the East. I don't necessarily believe that they were. I believe the Bucs were better. I believe the Nets and the Sixers both could have proved that they were better as well. I still think the Heat are better than the Knicks and the Hawks and that that matchup would have at least allowed them to get to the second round. But I think the big thing to take away from when you, when you talk about the bubble, and I, I actually mentioned this on a show I did yesterday, the only fraudy thing about what happened in the bubble for the Miami Heat was Jay Crowder specifically. Jay Crowder, who now started, what, two for 21 in the playoffs? He's like a from five three. percent shooter. <laughs> it's insane. And so this guy who historically throughout his whole career, the one thing you heard from people like Amin Hassan going into the playoffs was if Jay Crowder can keep up what he's been doing in this first part of the bubble, watch out because he's never done this. And when they acquired him, they didn't expect this. He was the throw-in with Andre Iguodala. And Jay Crowder, fine. He might be an individual bubble fraud. But I think there were a number of teams, if you look around, and that's not even to say Jay Crowder is a bad player. That's just to say his shooting percentages being as elevated as they were helped the Heat tremendously. I would say if you look around the league, in the bubble specifically, Every team shot the ball a little bit better, and there were a bunch of statistical anom anomalies amongst individual players across the league. It wasn't just the heat with Crowder, but that's one space where you could say it. Otherwise, look at who that team was last year versus this current roster. The Heat mortgaged part of what was Kelly Olynyk was a part of their roster. They, they did mortgage things to get Victor Oladipo, and then he didn't work out, and when it didn't, it showed that really the adjustments from one year to the next weren't there. They had a short offseason. Tyler Hero's game did not develop whatsoever. If anything, he hit a wall. Bam only was able to develop his game so much before this playoffs, which was a tremendous amount from one year to the next, just not as much as he needed this year. And, you know, bodies broke down. Jimmy Butler broke down. Goran Dragic broke down. It it happens when, you, when you're a veteran-laden team. So... The bubble fraud thing makes no sense to me uh, as a concept because to me, it's the ultimate representation of who's the best is put them in a vacuum, put them in a bubble, what comes out. Jeremy, I would just love to just sit on the irony of what you just said, that the playoff bubble is the purest essence, while literally three feet outside of that, you have the opening scene from The Walking Dead. <laughs> like, <laughs> just... It's very funny it really, to me that of all things that could have been pure in 2020, that was it. That tiny little sector of Orlando. That would have been it. Yeah, the, the most the most pure place on earth. Disney World, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> famous no, I, famous uh, for that sort of thing. Yeah, no, look. I mean, look, it, all of these things are a bit of an over-exaggeration, right? Because I, I don't think that... I think that the Heat were a team that was perfectly built for mentally what the bubble was uh they were a team that held up because they have psycho competitors like jimmy butler they had a mix of veterans and young guys so the young guys who were used to like the aau lifestyle of living in hotels like that and playing in tournaments like that but the older guys who were able to ground the young guys in the moments with experience so it was a perfectly gelled team with the perfect coach 
to bring them through that. But it doesn't mean that they they also weren't a well-built team that could have gone to Milwaukee and beat Milwaukee, that could have gone to you know Philadelphia or wherever they would have had to go, go gone to Boston and beaten Boston. Like all these teams were going through the same thing. So ah uh, bubble frauds, get out of here. <laughs> There, there is the most tepid Cortez right there, just at the yep. very end, bubbled in yep. just a little bit. Yep. Um, I want to shift gears here. I have one baseball question for you, and I feel the need yes, to please. preface this question that I am not a baseball guy. Um, and honestly, most of my knowledge of baseball comes from listening to the Levitard show talk about the Marlins and some of the little tangents that they get off onto. But one of the things that does interest me about baseball is when they're talking on the Levitard show about baseball, there's this recurring theme of baseball athletes not being able to transcend the sport and break through into Mm. popular culture. And one of the players that I find really interesting is Shohei Otani, because I just think back to when I was playing baseball growing up, and the dream was to either like be a star pitcher or to be the star hitter and hit a home run that wins the World Series. And we're looking at a player now that is doing both at an elite level at the same time. And it feels like on paper, that should be a massive story across sports. But for casual fans like me, it just isn't. Like, I'm only just coming to realize how special this kid is. So, Mm -hmm. like, what? why is this not a bigger deal? How... How does something like this just kind of fly under the radar for the most part? You know, I think that I think that something that is really lost in all of this is <sighs> baseball has this weird issue where people are becoming really famous within their game, right? It's not it's not like Shohei Otani isn't a huge name within people who know about Major League Baseball, but it is strange that You're right. They haven't been able to pierce through into popular culture. And now this is an example of two players with the Los Angeles Angels who are historic for their time, who are just lost on the West Coast. I don't know if these two guys played for the Yankees or the Red Sox or even the Cubs, right? Like closer to East Coast, because let's be realistic. A lot of baseball media is East Coast baseball media. Like in the general sense, Major League Baseball is headquartered out in New York. Like so much of it is from the East Coast that sometimes guys over the span of years have gotten sort of lost on the West Coast unless their teams have been historically great. And now you have two individuals with the Angels who have had no success as a team, but they've been spectacular. And I think something that... um, it's really that baseball has to start marketing the individual as opposed to the team Um, because forever baseball has been the ultimate team sport, right? More so to me than like when I watch baseball and this is, I'm, I'm ultimately a baseball guy. Like, so I'm coming at this from an incredibly biased perspective because I grew up playing the game and I understand the details of the game more so than I do with football or basketball or, or any other sport. But, When you watch baseball over the span of years, it's been a chess match. It's been the entire team having to play their role very specifically. And they might only be in action once or twice in a whole game. A left fielder might stand out there for three hours and get one ball hit at him. But just like in 2003 in the NLDS for the Marlins and the Giants, 
Jeff Conine has one ball hit out to him in left field. He has to make the perfect throw home to save the Marlins season. And that's like, that's what's so beautiful about baseball. It's always been marketed as this team game. And it always has been because of things like hit and runs and sacrifice bunts and all these little things. A lot of that is starting to change about the game of baseball. It's becoming a lot more of a, a three result game, which we've, you've probably, you know, heard Tim Kirkshen say on the Levitard show before it's Homer Walker strikeout. And with that being the case, there is a lot more individual success that drives the success of teams, right? If a guy's hitting 50 homers and the team only scores in home because of home runs, then that individual is influencing the game a lot more. And so like, to me, Maybe we should, if the game is going to be like this, where there is so much individual influence from singular plays, where only 15 total pitches decide the result of a game when you really ostensibly think about it, then maybe we should be marketing the individual on teams more because their impact is greater now than it's ever been. And so I don't really understand why Shohei Otani or Mike Trout, who I haven't even actually said his name yet, <laughs> you know, haven't sort of broken through. I think Mike Trout is a generally boring guy and Otani does have, you know, obviously some language barrier stuff, but not so bad. Like he's around, like it just doesn't make any sense to where Shohei Otani wants to embrace being this guy. It's clear that he, he wants to be a star. And I think it's starting because you're asking me questions like this right like if you're now if, if you're this asking counts, me then if, yeah sure right like if this counts right no but if 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 people if this is what's happening right if if at least we're getting to the point where people are saying hey why isn't this guy a star that's a start like that's how i'm going to choose to look at it optimistically for major league baseball all right now i want to get on some bullshit cuz that's where i that's where i like to live <laughs> right in, right in this dumb area um i listened recently to another podcast that you did and in there you were telling a story about uh, how your name once was pronounced Jeremy Tushy instead, oh, of, instead of Tashe, which yeah, uh, which apparently uh, throws some people off. So if you wouldn't <laughs> mind, could you please uh, tell that story to our audience? And then I have one follow-up question about said story. I appreciate you doing the recon here. I also hate you for it. Uh, so <laughs> I'm nothing so, if not prepared sometimes. Yeah, I, I appreciate that, honestly. Yeah, so uh, back in... Um, the third grade. And so for the folks who, who are listening to this who don't know me, uh, my name is Jeremy Tache, and it's spelled T-A-C-H-E, the little accent mark over the E. Um, and it's super annoying and pretentious, and I wish I didn't have to put it there, but it's necessary so that you pronounce it the right way. You're anyway, a fancy lad, Jeremy. Just own it. I'm a fancy lad. There it is. <laughs> so, so shout out, Chris. So I think uh, I was in third grade, and I was so proud of, of being an honor roll recipient and so I'm at my honor roll assembly waiting for uh, the teachers to read off of the honor roll list, which kids are going up and it's going in alphabetical order. And, you know, we're getting to the, you know, the Q's and the R's and the S's and we get up to the T's. And uh, it wasn't my teacher who was reading these names out loud. It was just a teacher who was reading for everyone. And I'm so excited to walk up onto the stage to receive my little certificate and I hear Jeremy Tushy. And as an eight-year-old, it was pretty catastrophic for me uh, because obviously for the final couple of months of the school year, Jeremy Tushy was all that the kids would say uh, for poor, poor little eight-year-old Jeremy uh, as he continued to walk around. And it's not, it's not the worst pronunciation 
uh ever you know there's there's been worse but man i i've had my name pronounced probably 15 different ways and i don't even understand how that's possible because there's only five letters but people find a way mesmerizingly to uh to pronounce it different ways all the time all right well in that answer you asked or you answered what was going to be my follow-up question which was how long did it take for the kids to stop calling you jeremy tushy but you just had, had to no, yeah, go thank go goodness. Ahead. I just had to go. Thank goodness. I just had to go into the summer and then nobody remembered once we got back for the next school year. So but all it was was that was if that had been if that had been in October, it would have been a very long third grade year for Jeremy. But luckily it was in like March or April and it was toward the end of the year. But you have given me another question. You said you've heard worse. What could be worse than Tushy? Well, maybe not worse in terms of of insults, but just like bad sounding like Tach. Or uh, I, what was the other? It was like, there's Tachi. There's, oh, Tash. Tash is a weird one that doesn't even like, how could you get that out of T-A-C-H-E? So, you know, I mean, I guess I could see it. I don't understand the English language any better than anyone else. <laughs> and truthfully, I guess this would have been a good time to have Chris Whittingham tell me how to pronounce my last name and why it should be pronounced that way. But I guess we don't have him here, so we can uh, we can do a crossover episode maybe in the future. We can bring him on <laughs> here. Time. We can settle this once and for all. Yeah, that'd um, be great. This Friday is a big day in the Levitard universe, as I'm sure you know. They are doing their free dumb 24 hour YouTube stream to really kick off this partnership with DraftKings. And Jeremy, I'm yes. curious if you had to stream for 24 consecutive hours on YouTube, what would you do to entertain the viewers? Oh man. What would I do if I had to stream for 24 hours? Well, first, well, first of all, let me just say, uh, I appreciate Levitard Show um, for giving me the birthday present of 24 straight hours of content because June 4th is actually my birthday. Well, happy early uh, birthday. Happy birthday yeah. to him. I don't care. Good luck. There it is. I love it. <laughs> I, I never thought I'd have that done for me. So even the knockoff version here from your show, I really, truly appreciate. Very so knockoff. Um, I think if I had to, if I had to entertain for 24 hours on a live stream, I think what would start the entire process would just be giving takes um, on just about anything. So I would probably start by just emptying my drafts on Twitter on a live stream because I just have so many things that I have typed up on into my Twitter, into my Twitter drafts that I refuse to send out because most of the time, you know, they're, they're a little too hot takey for, for someone of my stature. Oh, please share uh, one. And by stature, I mean, I have no stature. Uh, and so for just throwing things out there willy nilly, um, no, but no, a lot of the time it'll also just be silly topics that just like I'll fire off just cause I feel like having a conversation. So that's probably what I would do to start and do that for a little while. Um, then I would likely flash back and do like a top 10 list of some sort, um, in, in major Stugatz fashion, um, you know, just grab it from, from websites. But I think the big thing that I would do is I would, I'd break out the keyboard and I'd probably just start playing some music and take requests, um, and just start playing songs based off ultimateguitar.com because I think people would find pure joy in me making the effort to try to learn things and then it not actually being very good and getting an occasional voice crack in there possibly like it could be really fun to be able to do things that way so yeah i think i think music would be the thing that could help me bide my time amongst the viewers for 24 hours so jeremy are you musically inclined or is that just like a i'm just gonna see what happens type deal and just yeah. plunk no away? i'm 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 I'm, I guess, musically inclined is a is a way to say that. Yeah, I used to 
um, I haven't done it in a long time, but I used to make music of my own. Um, it's out there on Spotify and Apple music and stuff like that. Um, when I was in like high school and college, I used to write songs and yeah, play music all the time. So, uh, I was never in a band or anything. Um, but yeah, I've actually spoken with, with Yeti and Andrew, the guys who have, you know, the songs all over. I've, I've been on their podcast. Yes. Maybe no, we talked about the Beatles. Um, cause yeah, I mean, I'm, I love music. Like music is, there was a, a long time growing up where I, it was like sports or music and I'm going to explore one of them as a passion and I'm not sure which one. Um, and that was like the case growing up all the time. I mean, I was like doing musical theater while I was playing baseball, like that type of deal. So, um, yeah, I love music. If I, if I could be within the music world for a living too, like that's something No, like how Jason Fitz jumped from doing music over to the sports world. Yeah. I would, I would do the opposite in a heartbeat <laughs> as well. Like I love, I love the music world. I think it's fascinating. So could I trouble you? Do you have any lyrics that jump off the top of your head that you have written that you could share? That I've written? Yeah. You yeah. I mean, I songs. can. Yeah. I mean, well, so maybe something that I could do is I can tell a story about a song. Seriously, I can tell a story about a song and then I can direct you guys toward it. Okay. Um. Let's so like if, if, if you don't mind. So I have. So what I'll do is first I'll say there's just like, I think. Yeah, there's this a single. If you look me, if you look it up on YouTube, there's a single called "That Kind of Love," and I made a music video for it a few years ago. That was super fun, and whatever. But um, a song that I'll say to direct people toward. Uh, I wrote a song, uh, and this could get serious for a second. I wrote a song a few years ago uh, called "My Town," um, which was a song that I wrote after uh, I was in Europe, and I went to in, um, I believe it was in. Budapest. Uh, it was called the House of Terror, and it was a which, yeah, I know, sounds super light, right? Like I definitely walking into the House of Terror didn't expect it to be terrible. Um, no, but it was a it was an area that had actually once been Nazi headquarters, and then was also uh, like S, uh, Soviet headquarters, and so it some pretty crazy stuff went down in this place, and it's turned into a museum, and it was just super heavy. And this was back in in 2017, um, summer of 2017. Um, some stuff was going on, uh, in our country. And so, say. yeah. And so I sort of preemptively, um, and it weirdly, unfortunately sort of came to pass exactly what I was worried about in said song. Um, but I wrote a song called my town. Um, and I basically tried to write it sort of like, you know, like Sp Springsteen goes to Tom Joad style, like, you know, folky, whatever. Um, but it was something that I was really proud of. Um, it's something I'm still pretty proud of to this day. I think it's it's available on on Apple Music and iTunes and stuff. And then every other song that I've written other than that is way more upbeat and way more fun. So I chose the dark side for some reason on this fun podcast. Uh, but yeah, yeah, that's that's something I could, I guess, direct you toward. So, okay, what, so let's, let's take, the, put that one aside because that seems like it has, okay. its, it belongs in its own little box. The rest sure. of your music, what thematically were you writing about? Was it just like love songs? Was it just like yeah. driving songs? Like, what was it? Yeah, most, I mean, mostly as a kid, I mean, when I was, you know, 15, 16, 17, it was all like love songs, you know, just trying to write because that's, that's the easiest thing to write. It wasn't even necessarily like my own experiences as much as it was just like, oh, here's, here's the words that work in a love song. Right. <laughs> um, and so that was something that I kind of did as, as, as a kid. And then, you know, as I got older and learned a little bit more, I tried to write about things that mattered. Um, those songs didn't always come 
to be anything. Like I'd write a verse and a chorus and then be done with it and move on. And, you know, I only actually produced five or six of them ever. Um, so it wasn't anything like that, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I tried to write about some serious topics. Um, that's something that's, that's difficult, obviously. Um, no different than anything else, but yeah, I mean, I, I loved writing just like a catchy pop song as well. Like a catchy pop love song. Like I love doing it. It's fun. Um, and so, you know, there, there's something about it that's, that's super satisfying. It's like a math equation sometimes too, where it's like finding the right chords to fit together and then coming out with like, okay, this is the end result. There's something about a project that's completing like that, that like is very satisfying. Um, so yeah, I mean, I love it. I, I would still, I've been meaning and wanting to write again, but I just haven't, you know, the work is a little busy at the moment. So, well, not so much now. Um, now, all the, yeah, I guess not now anymore. the teams are getting out of the way. This could be the impetus yeah, for you to get back up the on moment. that stage. Yeah, I guess this is the moment, huh? That's um, funny. Jeremy, how old are you, if you don't mind my asking? Uh, I turned 26 on Friday. Okay, so you're a little bit younger than me. Um, mm-hmm. When you were growing up, were you a Disney kid, Nickelodeon kid, or Cartoon Network kid? Disney and Nickelodeon over Cartoon Network. Um, I was also, that's also partially probably because I was super sheltered by my mom uh, in some ways from the TV that I was able to watch. But man, I loved, I loved some Disney Channel. Uh, You find me around some Hannah Montana or Sweet Life of Zack and Cody or uh, High School Musical. Man, I was all about it. But I also like, I loved all those Nick shows as well. Like Drake and Josh to this day, I would still quote. I actually for a while had a, it's crazy. It doesn't really exist anymore, but I had a Nickelodeon rewatch podcast, um, with Gabrielle star. Um, is that what I stumbled across is it was like the yes. titles, like all that. And, and it was, of- what it was is it was, it was Nickelodeon again, um, is what, what the name of the podcast was, which I, I to, you know, I'm mad that we're not doing it mostly because it was a, a good, good name. name. It's a pretty good name. And so we were wa- we were rewatching these shows. We probably got seven or eight in, um, and we had rewatched Drake and did we watch Drake and Dark? We, we watched, uh, we did the Amanda show. We did Zoe 101. Um, we did SpongeBob. We had a black, it was so, we did Fairly Odd Parents. Like it was so fun. I mean, these were all the shows of my youth. Um, it was so, I mean, it was a blast, but we both just like have, have gotten new jobs since we started that endeavor. And it's been, we've had to put it on a hiatus. Hopefully it's something that we can bring back at some point. Well, let me bring this to your attention. I'm so glad I asked this question then. Um, are you aware that the Rugrats got rebooted on Paramount Plus? Yeah, yeah, I am. I am. I'm aware. I saw the animation and it freaks me out. So my wife got really curious about that, and so we logged into Paramount Plus this weekend, and we sat down. We watched the fi- the pi- <laughs> we watched oh, the boy. pilot episode of this, which was about the length of a Game of Thrones episode. I shit you not. It was forty two oh minutes, no commercials. It was intense. Um. But man, there have been some revisions to the Rugrats, as you might remember it. Really? Most what, specifically, what's going on? Grandpa Pickles has lived a hell of a life in this new one. <laughs> Let me tell you what. Um, there oh, is no. a there is a side plot in this episode where Angelica wants him to make them cookies, and so he's struggling in the kitchen to make them cookies. And okay. Angelica takes his phone and he has a seniors dating app on there called Silver Beagles. And so oh, she no. starts going through and just like swiping right on like every person that pops up. 
and the theme is that throughout the episode, more and more just like old women start showing up at the door and they're like, oh, where is, I don't remember what his actual name is, where is Grandpa Pickles basically? And they just all start going in and they just all start making cookies with him. The twist is, Jeremy, that the fourth person to come to that door is like an old man with like a big turquoise necklace and like a bouquet of flowers. And he's like, hey, do I have the right address? I love it. And Grandpa Pickles comes to the door and he says something to the effect of like, you know, I haven't thought about going down that path in a long time. And it was just like, oh, my God. Adult humor. I love adult humor in, in cartoons for kids. It's it, perfect. It was it was just wild. Like Phil and Lil's mom, uh, she's mm-hmm. she's very openly lesbian in this in this yeah. remake. But, I had a feeling. I mean, because she was yeah, in the like, previous one. Yeah, like she right. very clearly was, but she's at least open about it in this one. But man did not see a bi-curious P- Mr. Pickles coming I in like here. It. And then, I, I like it. I, I like messing with the, uh, with the structure of it. I'm all for it. And then in another part of the episode, uh, Grandpa Pickles talks about how he had a bad shiitake experience one time and was like <laughs> wandering in the woods and couldn't tell if it had been 15 minutes or 15 hours. I love it. I love it. This is great. See, that's what's. I, I think it's important when when these shows reboot themselves that they they add humor for the people who watched them originally, right? There needs to be like the nostalgic humor of like the same types of jokes that something like Rugrats would have, but then you also need to write on top of that the extra humor of okay, and now that you guys are in your twenties, here's some extra jokes for you. So that that way we'll watch it, and so and so will kids, and the kids won't understand any of those references. If you look back at at like the humor on like SpongeBob, I mean that was I, that's funnier now than it was when we were kids. Like, yeah, it, the the humor is hilarious. So um, I think that's what the what the best like kids cartoons do well is they they write it so that that way the parents also want to watch. Well, like there's a there's a classic meme from the original version of the Rugrats where Stu is making cookies at like 4 a.m. in the morning. Everything mm-hmm. seems to revolve around cookies in this show. I uh, love it. But a uh, Dee Dee wakes up and is like, "Stu, you're making cookies. It's 4 a.m. in the morning. What are you doing?" And he's like, "I've lost control of my life." And like yep. that that joke didn't hit me until I hit about like 25, 26, and all of a sudden yep. I was like, "Oh, I feel that very deeply," and I yep, don't exactly. like how much that hits. <laughs> uh-huh it's perfect yeah yeah no they uh they had really good writers the people who wrote that show were were terrific so i would say uh the animation is creepy but it might be slightly less creepy than the original animation so if really you ha- if you have paramount plus i wait did you not think the original animation was creepy i feel like i think that the 2d animation is easier to like swallow than the creepy 3d animation that's where i'm at the 3d animation that looks like it's in this rugrats is like a little bordering on the line of kind of creepy looking for me that's just where i'm at i don't know i mean i think the i think the art style in general of that entire universe is kind of creepy but yeah man i would really encourage you to go back and watch that first episode of rugrats and just like how just oh, like it's brutal. lumpy and misshapen every character yes. is in the episode where Tommy gets legitimate kidnapped, the two uh, kidnappers <laughs> who take him. Oh my God, Horrifying, yeah. horrifying I forgot creatures. that he gets kidnapped and they just like accept that as an episode, instilling that into the fear of all these young kids. And like the thing is, Tommy was not asked about 
any of it. He could not give nope. less of a shit that he was kidnapped as long as he had his ball. That's all he cared yep. about. Zero situational awareness by Tommy Pickles. Oh yeah, his situ- yeah his uh, his awareness rating on Madden would be pretty low. I, I would have to think Tommy Pickles. Tommy Pick- but what's frustrating there is that Tommy Pickles was the captain of the group, and that's what's that's what's alarming about that situation, right? Is he's a guy, heads up player, right? Clubhouse guy, coach's son, gym rat. That's what you get out of Tommy Pickles, and instead, bonehead move right there. How about that? I feel like that says more about the rest of the Rugrats though than it does him. Like he's ter- he's very clearly a bad leader and they just all decided, "Hey, you're going to be our captain. Oh, captain, my captain. Lead the way with okay. your little toy screwdriver." I'm trying to think of a of a good example of that in in sports. I don't there's not a lot of examples in sports of of people actually deciding on the wrong captain. Just um, in like sports movies. Uh what about like the literal wizards back when they had Gilbert Arenas? No. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, I guess maybe I guess maybe that wasn't the perfect one. I guess maybe that wasn't maybe you're right. Maybe maybe the early two thousands in basketball had some rough examples. Was uh was Aaron Hernandez ever a captain at Florida? Uh yikes. <laughs> no, just but be, but believing in Tim Tebow. Yeah. There no, you I'm go. kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Do you do you have a good all, Tebow all good, take? All good nah, I'm all good on Tebow. I, I'm like there was a time in my life where I really actually loved Tim Tebow, even though I hated the Gators and it was this weird thing. It made no sense that I was like very staunchly anti-Florida Gators and still really liked Tim Tebow and found him endearing. I wore 15, I wore 15 as my high school Jersey because of Tim Tebow. Cause we didn't wow. have 18, which was my original number. And I was like, oh, I'll take 15. That's like Tebow. I like, overachieve like that like that was how i looked at it that's you a know? staggering admission jeremy i know it's not a good one it's not <laughs> one i'm like super proud of but it's the reality i loved him at the time and it's the act is aged a little bit uh so you're not you getting know, a, I, a tebow jersey then no no and 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 you know i appreciate some of the things that are great about him it's one of those things where like i hate to be like oh his fans make me not like him because i would hate i'm in so many groups i'm a ucf fan and i want people to like ucf and we are one of the worst like most annoying fan bases in the world and i know it and so like i'm the last person to judge people based off a of fan base but at the same time you know, it, it turns you off a bit from from the whole Tebow thing. Yeah. Well, I think that's about as good a place as any to end that conversation. <laughs> a right, smooth perfect. transition right from Rugrats to Tim Tebow. Jeremy, you have I been an it. awesome guest. Thank you so much for joining us. Before we let you go, where can the people find you? Yeah, you got. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. This has been super, super fun. Um, yeah, if you guys want to find me, you can follow me at Jeremy Taché. That's on Twitter, Instagram. Um, Do you have to I use the fancy like E when you type that in, like at Jeremy? No, Tache. you're good. No You'll find e. it just normal. No fancy E's here. It'll be totally fine if you just type Jeremy Tache. You'll find me. Um, you should also, if you do want to find all of my content, like when it goes out initially, you should follow all of the different uh, Bally Sports Florida accounts. So that's at Bally Heat, at Bally Panthers, at Bally Marlins, uh, and at Bally Sports Florida on Instagram. That's where you'll find all of it. Um, everything that I'm doing right now is going out specifically on digital, but we do have uh, some cool new projects in the works that might come out in other capacities. So mm. uh, stay tuned for all of that stuff throughout the summer, but um, nothing eminent or anything like that. But, you know, we're working on some stuff and it's been a super fun first six months with Bally and I'm really excited to kind of keep it going. So Jeremy, uh, even threw a little tease there at the end. You know how to keep the people coming back. Well done. <laughs> 
Thanks, man. <laughs> I'm doing I'm doing my job. <laughs> All right, Jeremy. Have a good one, man. Thanks, bud. I really appreciate it. This was super fun. <laughs>